the incomparable. Number 262, September 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and joining me uh, are uh, a great group of people to do something we like to call Old Movie Club. Old Movie Club. Tonight, we're going to be talking about two films that have an actor in common, or perhaps two actors in common. Uh, but one of them is more important than the other. Um, these are uh, The Hustler from 1961 and Anatomy of a Murder from 1959. Uh, joining me to talk about these old movies that you should go uh, you should go watch, perhaps, because uh, some of the, I, I think I'd never seen either of these. Uh, joining me are Steve Lutz. Hello. Hello there, Jason. Uh, fair warning to listeners out there, we may be saying the word panties during this episode, so <laughs> let's get the snickering out of our systems now. Oh, okay. that's exactly what I was doing. I know a French word. <laughs> it might be a little suggestive. Kind of suggestive. Most French words are. That is good stuff. David Lore is also there. Hello, David. Hello. Uh, Monty Ashley as, is out there. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. And uh, the Internet's Dr. Drang joins us again, thereby depriving our chat room of its only participants. <laughs> we just got, it's, it's like it's like when you uh, give a presentation in front of one person, you just ask them to come up on stage and join in the fun. That Hi, works. Dr. Drang. Hello, Ladybird. <laughs> and the ringleader for all of this, of course, is Mr. Philip Michaels. Hello. I've often heard about the queer customs of this incomparable podcast. <laughs> now I see that they're actually in place. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. It's very true. Uh, Phil, can you explain to us why you chose uh, these two films for us to watch? Why? Why? That sounds awfully <laughs> accusatory. Well, um, uh, as is um, the case with most old movie clubs, it's because I enjoy the movies. Um, also, I had them on the DVR and was feeling very lazy ah. and didn't want to search out <laughs> movies. But um, uh, I wanted to expose you and... Uh, the wider world to uh, the greatness of George C. Scott, who I think is a magnificent supporting actor and, and a pretty good lead actor, um, if you've ever seen Patton. But uh, these are two of his uh, performances that uh, uh, tend to not really get remembered in the in, by, by general movie lovers. Uh, you really, I wouldn't call them deep cuts, but they, you, you do have to have some sort of uh, uh, knowledge of the the movies to know that he's even in these there uh anatomy of a murder is a very small role and a memorable role uh in the hustler he's one of the, the central characters and, mm -hmm. and i think uh perhaps i'll be disabused of this notion i think he's fantastic in both and and the best thing about both movies um and so i just wanted to uh to spend an evening talking about the glory or non-glory of George C. Scott. Now, I watched the complete uh, first and only season of uh, Fox's sitcom, Mr. President. Do I get mm. any credit for that? No. Oh. In fact, I think uh, George C. Scott and Campbell Scott owe you an apology. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, I lied. I, I saw one episode of Mr. President and said, oh, that, God, no. that That was pretty much the whole season. And then I went away from that. Well, that would be uh, the point of George C. Scott's career when it was anything for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Most actors do reach that point at some mm -hmm. point. I would agree with you, Phil, that uh, George C. Scott is the highlight of both of these films. And uh -oh. unfortunately for me, that makes the rest of the film seem somewhat uh, it's somewhat pale in comparison to the moments when he's not on screen. But uh, we can well, get to that as we... I, I'm sure that we will. And um, shall we start with Anatomy of a Murder? Well, chronological is a perfectly good way to do it. Or, al yeah. or alphabetical. You could do alphabetical, too. 
because it's still anatomy of a murder. <laughs> well, then then let's start with anatomy of a murder. See what I did there? I All did right. exactly what I said I was. I do. watched them in the opposite order as I always do. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Lots. Of, we don't have enough time. Podcast isn't that long. So Anatomy of a Murder is an Otto Preminger movie. Otto Preminger is a, a, an interesting director, and, and, and uh, I think Dr. Drain might want to jump in. And, and, and so he, he strikes me as a fella who, who probably has some opinions about Otto Preminger. This was, I think, the point in Otto Preminger's uh, career when he was just fascinated with processes and how things work. Because <laughs> he made both this movie, which is essentially a murder trial from start to finish with with very little of it left on the cutting room floor um and i think his follow-up movie to this was advise and consent which is uh basically if you took that abc saturday morning cartoon about how a bill becomes a law and, and turned it into a pot boiler <laughs> i remember Otto premature being on a laugh-in a lot he was also uh, a villain on batman too <laughs> well yes of yep. course mr freeze yep. uh you know later taken over by uh by Arnold Schwarzenegger, so it's kind of a German thing. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I freezing hell. <laughs> it's very cold in Germany and Austria. That's right. Apparently, yes. Uh, you know, I'm not. A, I'm not a big Otto Preminger fan. I don't think oh, I've really? ever seen Laura, which I think is that like is probably his best movie, the top Easily. movie, and and what made his reputation. Yeah. Um, well, this one is uh, based on a, a book that was written by a. Uh, a judge, I believe, a Michigan judge under a pseudonym. Um, uh, and it is a case, um, a murder case, as you might uh, determine from the movie. And it stars Jimmy Stewart. He is an It'd attorney. Quite a you, twist if it was like jaywalking or something. Yeah. <laughs> you, you really don't pack him in for anatomy of a, of a, uh, a, a civil suit. A minor infraction. But you wouldn't see it coming. But uh, anatomy of probate. No, they don't come <laughs> in for that. Um, Jimmy Stewart is uh, a defense attorney. He used to be the um, the county prosecutor. It, it turns out that he lost the election and he is not taking the loss well because he spends most of his days fishing and not being a very um, uh, dedicated lawyer. But he And gets, being a terrible boss, by and the be, way. Exactly. He's, his, his, but uh, a very good drunk. Yes, his business is 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 on the brink of ruin. His secretary uh, Eve Arden, um, who I would also say is a highlight of the movie, I, if Steve yes. may disagree, playing uh, Eve Arden. No, no, I'm happy to see her in something other than Greece. Yes, uh, or, or our Miss Brooks for for our for our decrepit listeners out there, <laughs> which is all of them, I assume. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Um, but uh, he is tapped to do to. Um, to be the um, uh, counsel in a murder case in which an army lieutenant played by Ben Gazzara. It's impossible to say <laughs> Ben Gazzara's name without saying it like that. Uh, ben Gazzara is accused of um, <laughs> is accused of uh, murdering the the man, the bartender who raped his wife, who is played by a very young, very dishy Lee Remick. Um, and uh, um, we are uh, as the case evolves, we are. We are sort of led to believe that Ben Gazzara is not exactly innocent. Of the, well, it's clear that he did it. The, def, the defense that they settle on is that he was temporary, temporarily insane. And um, uh, whether that's uh, 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 bullcrap or not is uh, left to you, the audience member, to determine. It's probably bullcrap. But um, it's James Stewart and his, uh, and his dear friend, drunken Arthur O'Connell, who plays <laughs> Parnell McCarthy. <laughs> And Parnell is the, the 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 biggest drunk in all of the Upper Peninsula, uh, but he has to <laughs> he has to, in Jimmy Stewart's words, give up the bows if you want to work on the case. Mm. So 
So give up the booze. For some reason that never becomes clear and never I'm pays off I'm thinking it way. over. So he can drive to Canada without swerving off the road. Yes, and, and yet he does. So. Oh, only on the way back. Another thing that never pays off in any way or makes any difference whatsoever. Yeah. I recently watched Hoosiers. Has the exact the same plot, except the drunk actually has a reason to be a drunk. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, well, he's in the UP. There's not much else to do up uh, there. No, don't have to tell me. Half my family is in the UP. I was there last year. That's the entire story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They settle on this uh, temporary insanity defense. Uh, they're going up against the the, the man who um, beat Jimmy Stewart for the uh, the seat of county prosecutor. And it turns out he is a terrible attorney. Yeah, he's not so great. No. He's not so great. I, I would take a case against him, too. Which makes you wonder how he lost to him in the first place. Brooks West, who I believe was married to Eve Arden. Yep. He was, yes. I just got the sense that Jimmy Stewart is self-defeating, that he, you know, that that he he's a better lawyer, but, uh, you know, not a better, maybe he's not a better politician. Yeah. Something well, he was, like that. He was, uh, he was DA for 10 years, so he yeah. did all right for himself. <laughs> he so seems I've, awfully young to have already been DA for 10 years. <laughs> I don't know. He looks a little uh, little older than I remember him. Yeah, he's got, some, he's got some gray he's around up the a temples. Bit. Although it is all gray, given that the mil- he's, film's in black and white. He's but. 51 at this point. <laughs> 51. But uh, 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 Mitch, the uh, the district attorney Mitch, terrible, stupid Mitch, uh, is aware of his limitations and brings in a hired gun from uh, from The, the big state shooter process- from Lansing. A fancy big city lawyer <laughs> from Lansing. From the Lansing. big town of Lansing, Michigan. And that would be where George C. Scott uh, enters the picture as the brilliantly named Claude Dancer. Yes, he even has a closer's name. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, after about an hour of setting all this up, that's where it gets kind of long. Um, we, that, that's the, where, well, I was, I was going to say it picks up at the moment they get into the courtroom. I no, agree. No, I, Finally, I, I, I no, agree. we're saying the same thing, Steve. The first hour of the movie is a lot of, a lot of setting up and a lot of, Hey, let's meet all the players in this drama. Did you guys notice Lee Remick? My well, God. Well, mm-hmm. I, I believe I, I, I use the words dishy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right straight from Collier's magazine. Like, <laughs> she's she's lovely, but it is offset by the fact that she comes off as intensely creepy throughout the entire yeah. thing. My notes say super weird and flirty, but yeah. super weird. The fact that she's hitting on Beagler a couple of days after her supposed rape and, and obvious beating is just really off putting. It's a yes, little hard we, to Yes, we should point out that uh that uh um uh Lee Remick was probably Probably beat up by Ben Gazzara in the uh, aftermath (laughs) of the the rape by the bartender, who we never actually uh, uh, see photos of, I don't believe. Just very blurry. On the wall. Yeah, on the wall. But uh, the the first hour of the movie, as I said, is is a lot of setup. And then it's the court case, which for me is where it picks up. Um, I, I think the, the, the court case has your it's, – it's a very interesting legal drama with your twists and your turns. I don't know how much we want to get into those twists and turns, but it's a lot of uh, Jimmy Stewart sparring with uh, George C. Scott, which I think is the most interesting part of this movie. Um, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, to jump ahead to the, the verdict, it turns out that our uh, – do we want to spoil the ending? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's spoil the <laughs> Can you spoil this ending? I I think so. I mean, other than the fact, okay, well, he gets off. That's he, the yeah, one thing he, that he, he's he's exonerated, right? And uh, Jimmy Stewart and 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 no longer drunken Arthur O'Connell go to collect the go to collect the check from uh, from him, and it, it, he 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 skips town. 
and they have a good laugh about how they're not going to pay their secretary again. <laughs> yeah. <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> End of story. But they are but they are going to extremely in extremely sleazy fashion then go and and do probate on the uh, the <laughs> estate of the of, daughter of the rapist. Of the yeah. rapist, yeah. Yes. Or the guy they've just tarred as a rapist, possibly. Mm-hmm. I should point out that um, the – well, he was uh, – it, it's pretty much implied that um, that he did rape her. Um, the question is just how much did the – how crazy was the lieutenant when he went and shot the rapist? I'm not was, certain that's ever really made clear, to be no, honest with you. I, no, I, I, I think that it is by the fact that they find the – and. I'm only going to use this word once, and I hope you get all the giggles out of the way. They find the panties of the um, of uh, Lee Remick uh, in Barney Quill's laundry, or at the in the hotel laundry. Um, they're found by the daughter of Barney Quill. Barney Quill is the 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 deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, the daughter was secretly his daughter. She was actually uh, posing in public as his business manager, um, and she's on whom the case turns. Uh, Mary Pallant is her name. And um, the cross-examination of Mary Pallant by George C. Scott, where George C. Scott overplays his hand, is my favorite moment of the movie. I mean, George C. Scott is always so wonderful at being, you know, ultra-confident and then blowing it. Yes. Right. And and this is absolutely this moment where he 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 does the lawyer mistake of asking a question that he doesn't know the answer yeah. to, yep. and uh, uh, she gives him because he's my father, and the look that George C. Scott gives <laughs> on, in yes. that moment, and then he immediately tries to recover, and then fails to recover, and then does recover. <laughs> it is it is a brilliant acting turn. It is worth the price of admission for this admittedly two hour and forty minute movie. I would quibble about the rapid introduction of evidence that um, that uh, the other side of the of the case hasn't seen before, mm. except it already happens the other way, like 20 minutes earlier, where right. a, a magic witness appears that the that the defense knows nothing about. And, you know, I think now we've seen so much so many legal tv shows and so many legal films that you look at that and you go come on and i mean there's a lot of shorthand happening here because although this movie is long it is not as long as an actual court case yes. but but that that and it and it certainly builds up the drama um and i found that i forgive the ultimate twist because it's been set up by you know the, it's almost like all's fair here because the, the you know they got bushwhacked by a by a, a mystery witness not too long before that and and i should point out um that a um th- i became aware of this movie because a mutual friend of ours jason was in law school at the time and uh-huh. they, they they showed this movie to uh the second or third year law school students as a, well, it's overly dramatized, but this is not a, a bad recreation of what a trial is mm-hmm. like. Um, especially with the, the, the search for precedent and the, the way that you handle cross-examination. Really, our, our mutual friend's only quibble is the scene where Jimmy Stewart jumps up to his feet and screams, Objection! Objection! Because that is, <laughs> that is absolutely calling the jury's attention to something that you don't want them to remember. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Harry's. Now, shaving can be a pain. 
It can be uncomfortable, razor burn, nicks, all that kind of stuff. It can also be expensive and hard to shop for. Sometimes uh, I go to the drugstore and the, the blades are behind a plastic thing. They're locked up. They don't have the blades that I need. But for the last year or so, I've uh, not had that problem because I've been using Harry's for my shaving lotion, for my razor, and for my razor blades. Now, Harry's blades cost about half the price of the big branded blades, and they ship for free to your door and they're better too they're made in germany uh the first blades they made there they liked it so much they bought the factory and now harry's owns the factory in germany where their blades are made why pay 32 dollars for an eight pack of blades it's half that price at harry's and with harry's you get a better shave it respects your skin your face your legs your feelings and your wallet no more bad quality blades let me tell you the harry's blades are really nice i was skeptical about internet razors and things like that and you know what the Harry Blades, I've actually changed the way I uh, shave now and improved it by using Harry's wonderful shaving lotion and their super uh, sharp, nice quality blades. Starter set is a great deal, too. For $15, Harry's will send you a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three blades. And you can use promo code SNELL, my last name, and you'll get $5 off that. So it's a great deal for your first purchase at Harry's. Men, women, Everybody needs razors that shave well. If you are a primate, if you are a human, you have hair. And you probably want to get some of that hair off of your body. This is what Harry's is good at. And if there is a primate in your life, if there is another human in your life who you think could use a gift, perhaps, of some really nice shaving equipment, Harry's, consider it. It may be very nice to give as a gift. Just an idea for me. So go to harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com right now. $5 off with coupon code SNELL for your first purchase at Harry's. That's harrys.com. Enter coupon code SNELL at checkout for $5 off and start shaving better, shaving like me, today. And thank you to Harry's for sponsoring this edition of The Incomparable. I don't know whether this is uh, something that had happened a lot before or whether this was one of the popularizers of it. But he, he literally has the I'm just a good old country lawyer. This, oh, this, this has codified the trope, it. as they say. Yeah. yeah. I'm just a humble country lawyer trying to do the best I can against this brilliant prosecutor from the big city of Lansing. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I watched it with my family years and years ago, my mother called it Anatomy of a Matlock. And oh, my I mean, it's 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 not it's not as simplistic as that, but it's it's just the the tropes of the country lawyer and the you know the the folksiness of it. And I imagine this is one of the first films to really um, to take the time. I mean, this is not a shorthand of a legal case. This is this is the whole legal case. You get about what an hour of setup where you're basically witnessing all the evidence and how this whole case comes together. Yeah, I would say this and the wrong man are uh, are probably two two sides of the same coin where it's it's going through the the various legal processes to to varying degrees of uh impact and for dramatic sake there there's information that's withheld but you get a pretty good sense of legal strategy on the part of jimmy stewart and struggling with problematic facts which i think is really interesting that we don't ever really feel confident in uh lieutenant mannion 
Uh, ben Gazzara. And yeah, ben, good old Ben Gazzara. <laughs> and, and, and Laura, Lee Remick, is, you know, like I said, super weird and yeah. disturbing. And she's very flirty. And we can talk. I mean, one of uh, it's very difficult to look at a movie from 1959 through the lens of 2015. Um, it, it's fascinating in that it's got a lot of subject matter that I'm surprised was even discussed i mean well that it, that is a very much an auto auto preminger thing yeah auto yeah he always he always pushed to, the envelope yes you don't simply say panties in movies <laughs> back then you did not talking about talking about a rape in in uh, a decent amount of detail and about you know did they find semen and things like that is completion is, sperm sorry did they find sperm was it brought to completion i mean yeah it, that that's all there and then the portrayal of of Laura, there are moments that it gave me the 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 creeps because there are some implications at some point. A, a few people, it, there's the implication of you know, did she deserve it? That gives that makes my skin crawl. Right? That is the most difficult part of watching this movie today. Yeah. Is it takes a very um, uh, I, I wish I could say of its time, but a very retrograde um, attitude towards sexual assault. Well, I'm not sure the movie takes that stance. I mean, certainly there are characters in the film that, that take that stance, but the film itself, uh, if anything, it, it makes the say the guys at the, uh, the 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 army guys that he talks with seem like utter cads for having that viewpoint as opposed to siding with them. I'd say Laura. I mean, th- there are two ways to view Laura, right? One way is that. You know, this is who she is. She is flirty, and that's just who she is. And it's a little bit weird if you're not expecting it that she's so forward. But just because she's flirty, you know, she's married, and uh, she can do what she essentially she can do what she wants. But it, the rape is still a rape. On the other hand, I feel like she's not portrayed as a victim other than like the bruises she gets she's she's making moves on jimmy stewart you know a couple of days after you know she's been raped and her husband has 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 killed a guy it is weird it, it just it, it feels it feels weird and i kept trying to parse it as i went and at times it was uncomfortable and at times i was impressed that it wasn't as bad as i feared it it would be and that you know you're right steve that some of these other characters don't come across very well at all but it did it was very uncomfortable that whole you know, a lot of of Lee Remick's performance. Well, me. and some of that is is what made me wonder if if the rape even occurred at all. I mean, just George C. Scott makes a good point towards the end, which is that those panties could have been placed there. No laughing, please. Could have been placed in the laundry chute by <laughs> yeah. somebody else, including Lee Remick herself. And this whole thing could have possibly been planned by the both of them. Um, and, and and I just wonder if maybe the the sort of creepiness, the sort of uh, you know, the flirtiness isn't is meant to keep that sort of open ended. I mean, the whole kind of the whole point of this is that we only see really what happens from Jimmy Stewart's point of view, right? I mean, we right, never sure. really find right. out what happened, right. which is intriguing. You well, know? and the and first conversation he has with with Ben Gazzara, he's like, um, "I'm just going to suggest a few things you might want to think if you can remember him." I can't. Yeah, tell he you. absolutely <laughs> gives him the idea to to claim insanity, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I think more than the procedural aspects of the trial, I think that's why lawyers like this uh this movie it's because it has the moral ambiguity parts of it and it and on both sides i mean jimmy stewart is doing things and saying things that are you know what we would expect a forthright jimmy stewart character to do mm-hmm. and george c scott and and the doofus that he's working with <laughs> do the same thing they they are withholding evidence they george c scott knows perfectly well the the temporary insanity case 
that this that uh, Jimmy Stewart's case is, is hinged that on. Is he knows it. Scene. He just he scene. just doesn't say it. Yeah, because the, the 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 bad attorney is like the doofus. What, yeah. what? this is outrageous? No, and George C. Scott's like jigs up. You know, he knew it all along. <laughs> he was hooked. hoping the judge wouldn't know. He was hope he was hoping that Jimmy Stewart wouldn't find the precedent, but he absolutely knows that the precedent's there. I love that scene. Yeah, that's a great scene. Yeah, my favorite thing about George C. Scott in this movie is how much time he doesn't spend doing anything. Just sitting there watching Jimmy Stewart, clearly knowing everything that's going on, and every time his doofus buddy starts to panic, he you can tell from G George C. Scott whether or not they're going to win the argument. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's two moments of George C. Scott subtlety in that vein that I really, really love. There's the very early scene when when Dancer, assuming Beagler to be a, a country rube, uh, tries to get Mannion examined by the state psychiatrist late and without formal petition. But then it, Beagler proves that he knows that, uh, you know, that's not going to fly if they actually bring it before the judge. And so he's trying to railroad it through. Um, and Scott is just so smooth in the way he changes gears here. As soon yep. as he realizes that Beagler knows what he's talking about, you, you, you instantly know that we have the makings of a great duel here. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other is there's a scene where Beagler, in, in Beagler being the, uh, the Jimmy Stewart character, um, in mock anger, he slams his hand down on the table right in front of George C. Scott in one of his tirades, who's, who's just sitting there with his, you know, his hands under his chin. And, uh, and, and you see him, George C. Scott, dan or, uh, jump a little bit, you know, because the, somebody's slamming his fist on the table right in front of him. But he otherwise just doesn't react at all. And it is hysterical. The and and George C. Scott also delivers my favorite line of the movie. And it's set up by Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart is objecting to something. He says, this is the lawless trick I've ever seen in a courtroom. And George C. Scott just says, you haven't lived. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing I think is weirdly missing from this movie is the end of the trial. Like, after going through yeah. every witness and every bit of cross-examination, they skip the closing arguments entirely, except to say, that was the best closing argument <laughs> I've ever seen. I guess yeah, I think we already saw the, the trial, so we don't need to see the summation, but it's like, come on! It's not so much the summation I want. I really need the scene where George C. Scott walks over and shakes Jimmy Stewart's hand and says, well, you beat me, or something. Because we never see this guy lose. Did you want to see him lose, Monty? I kind of don't. I, w I want the closure, yeah. I want to see how he takes to losing to a humble country lawyer. Yeah, I guess I'm interested yeah. in that, too. I, I, feel, I don't feel bad for George C. Scott at any point in this movie, even, even when he asked that bad question. Because I feel like he, he's, doing, he, he's done everything he can here. Right. Well, they're you both know? doing what they're supposed yeah, to do, right? Exactly. They're, they're defending mm -hmm. their clients or they're uh, prosecuting the client to the best of their ability within the, within the law. Um, I like, uh, and again, there may be some questions about the reality here, but I like the, uh, theatrical objections, not just objection, objection, but the, the, uh, sparring they do where Jimmy Stewart is trying very hard to get the circumstances of the rape into the, into the, uh, into the case and into the, into the record and in front of the jury. And he tries it a few different ways and you can see him trying to get it in. And, and what's also funny is both sides are playing the game of bringing things up. Uh, that the judge says, you know, we're going to strike that from the record. You, you know, they withdraw their objection and the jury will disregard, which right. is a thing you see, you've seen a million times. And I've always had the same question, which is voiced by Lieutenant Mannion, which is how can a jury disregard what it's already heard? And, and, uh, Jimmy Stewart says they can't, Lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there's a, lawyers have a, a phrase for that. It's called unringing the bell. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I'm kind of surprised 
that that maybe that didn't exist back in the 50s. I don't know. I've heard it many, many times from attorneys. And no, lawyers always want to do that. Uh, they always want to, oh, excuse me, judge, you know, and, and, and have something come out that objected to or not, the jury hears it right. and they know it. And if it's and I've seen this um, in uh, news reports that if this goes too far, they will just call a mistrial. Right. So you as a ju- as a as a lawyer, you have to be very careful because if you do too much of this, it will be misconduct. <laughs> you will get in trouble and you will lose your case. They will they will start again if you if you. To- so you're, you're walking a fine line when you do stuff like this. And if this movie wasn't too much of that, I can't imagine what would be. Yeah, really. I mean, uh-huh. Getting getting the, the, the rape into the case seems like a pretty huge, uh, you know, infraction of that particular rule. Well, Mr. Beagler, you got your rape into the case. I, I feel like both sides do it a little bit, which is why I kind of forgive it, is that is that it seems like this is in a parallel universe where more of this is allowed than than. I don't think both sides do it equivalently. I think it's 99% Jimmy Stewart. Oh, yeah. He does, he does most of it. There's no doubt about it. That That's his essentially his strategy at the beginning is just to keep on objecting to things and trying to trying to get this extra information in and to bias the jury. His tactic is to go too far and force the other side to object. He's constantly mm. asking well, inappropriate questions and having to say – I'm going to warn you again, counselor. He doesn't care about the warnings. He's and district attorney doofus like has that one objection where he he lists like five different yeah. things that he's objecting to. That's a <laughs> wonderful moment too. Well, that's too much for me. Yeah. So folksy. This is the power the power of the folksiest. Jimmy Stewart at his folksiest here. Yeah. Do we want to say a word about uh, Joseph Welch? Because we yes. have the judge. Yes. Yes. We haven't Jeez. talked about him at all. Uh, this this good lord. Yeah. <laughs> there are two pieces of stunt casting in this movie. Yes. One is Duke Ellington Duke as Pie Eye. <laughs> Thanks, Pie Eye. What's that guy doing in the upper peninsula of Michigan? If that means that we get the soundtrack that we do with this film, I'm, I'm all yes. in favor. I'm okay with that. I'm yes. all with you on that. I, I'm perfectly <laughs> fine with Duke Ellington. But Joseph Welch is unbelievably bad it is yes. like he won a contest <laughs> it it's it's i uh, i mean we all you know we know his history we know why they wanted him there because of the army mccarthy trial and you know have you no shame uh, senator at long last senator mccarthy but he's awful in this <laughs> he is thing terrible in this movie okay i'm not gonna i'm not gonna exactly disagree with you um i i am i, I loved him i i feel oh, like oh. i feel like you, you go into a, a, a courtroom somewhere and you're going to get a judge and every judge is a person and they're going to have their own personality. And I thought this was just like, well, we got this guy. This is going to be the guy. And and he's he's quirky and all we that. We got a guy who speaks English like he learned it phonetically and has no idea he's what he's saying. a little bit wooden. Steve, defend uh, Joseph Welch. All right. Well, maybe love Joseph Welch is a bit strong. <laughs> I loved the character. I liked the lines they gave him. Sure. Uh, I can digest pig iron is particularly great. Uh, and I thought he pulled it off okay. I don't know anything about who Joseph Welch is or why that's stunt casting. So maybe you can uh, lay ah. that out for me. He was the uh, attorney in the uh, Army, uh, the the McCarthy hearings. Who uh, oh okay? Who put uh, just McCarthy shit in the street? Got it. Okay. So, He's the one who said, "Have you no sense of decency, sir?" Yeah. Got it. And and I should point out that Otto Preminger loves stunt casting. And um, in the aforementioned uh, 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 advise, and, advise and consent, he his, his, he wanted to cast Martin Luther King Jr. as a senator from Alabama. 
and and it was all going to happen, and then it sort of unraveled at the end. Did, but uh, Otto Preminger never met a stunt casting thing he didn't like. He cast Peter Lawford as a John Kennedy like character in uh, Advice and Consent as well. Incidentally, oh, yeah. part of the jury, Mrs. Joseph Welch. Yes. Yeah, that's that was, part of the payment. That was what. Uh, <laughs> that was his condition for accepting the role. Lovely. To, to Jason and Steve's point, I I I think the character of the judge is fine. I think his his quirkiness is fine. I think it's written perfectly well. And judges do that sort of crap in court where they come in and they tell little stories and they Mm – it's very weird. It is very weird. (laughs) But he doesn't deliver it well. I I thought the delivery complemented the goofiness of the character. It didn't come off as as stilted to me. So much as this is just an odd duck, and this is the way he acts, and 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 I would compare him uh, to uh, Clarence in *It's a Wonderful Life*, uh, who also yeah. has a very bizarre way of delivering lines. There's there's a line he delivers that's um, well, there's no need to make a federal case of it, and there's this pause, this long <laughs> pause, uh, as if as if the audience is supposed to erupt into gales of laughter at this, and I've I, I've never really gotten that. Have you ever seen a judge <laughs> try to tell a joke? Yeah. In a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it goes. But Otto Preminger can, can cut away to more interesting things instead of keeping the camera there on the judge telling this this leaden thing. I, I it's 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 just an odd decision that I think undermines mm. the movie. All right. Well I did not hate him. I actually quite enjoyed what could I guess charitably be called a performance. <laughs> it was quirky. it was weird and quirky and unexpected. I would say, which is why I kind of enjoyed. Also, it. you'll never look at Floyd the Barber from uh, the Andy Griffith Show quite the same way after you Man, hear he was him great, say spermogenesis a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, yes, Andy. <laughs> I had a few notes. Yeah, go through your notes. I I liked the line, "Well, that's a crazy name for a crazy lawyer." I thought that yeah. was yeah. hilarious and weird. That's uh, good. Jimmy Stewart. Um, warns her about booze and pinball machines and men and juke joints i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed that too that's good advice to anyone and one of my favorite things in the movie and and it becomes obvious if if you're watching but i noticed it from the very beginning is there is a scene where george c scott is is uh talking to a witness and he's standing between the witness and Jimmy Stewart. And Jimmy Stewart, it, it, and it happens, it starts a little bit slowly. He, you see him moving in the background, which is what got my attention. You're like, why? That's a weird choice directorially. But what's happening is every time George C. Scott moves, he steps in front of Jimmy Stewart. And then Jimmy oh, Stewart hilarious. has to move and get out of the way. And finally, he's like, hey, he just keeps getting in my way. But I thought that was really, that was that made me laugh a lot. The way it's really staged great. is great, too, because you notice it before I think Jimmy Stewart yes. does. Yes. Like you immediately see that he's blocked off Jimmy St- your view of Jimmy Stewart, so you immediately know what he's up to, and it's, it's great. That is, I, I agree. That's yeah. my favorite thing there, too. And George C. Scott is obviously doing it instinctively because mm-hmm. he never takes his eyes off Lee Remick yep. during that. He's, he's, he's looking at the witness all the time, and he's doing it with his back to Jimmy Stewart. He's blocking him all the time. And he has the greatest response when Jimmy Stewart objects. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to prevent the counsel from signaling the witness. (laughs) (laughs) You do it again and I'll knock your block off. (laughs) Yeah, that seemed overly hostile. (laughs) Does anyone else have any notes that they want to get out? Yes, I I have many, in fact. Starting with the the actual best part of the movie, which has not been mentioned, which is the opening credits sequence. I oh, was, yes. I was oh, going to get this. All bass credits. It's so good. And the disjointed body working so well with that Rudy 2D jazz, as they call it in the movie. 
<laughs> Thanks, Pie Eye. If people don't want to watch two hours and 40 minutes of movie, at least watch the opening credits. They're the best opening credits ever. I do not find it charming that Jimmy Stewart buys outboard motors instead of paying his employees. <laughs> He's you, supposed are, to be, you are really fixated on what a terrible boss he is. She's literally working without pay, and he's buying things with the money he's supposed to pay her. This this is, happens right when they're trying to set him up as charmingly eccentric. Go out fishing, that's fine. Buying new motors, that's not fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, how's he supposed to bass fish without a new motor, Monty? <laughs> um, is he supposed to row? I did not think that we needed a trick dog in this movie. No. I often don't think we need a trick dog, but especially not in this one. Especially not in this one. No dogs. I don't understand. That whole scene is like, (laughs) hey, we got a dog in a cage. Let's let the dog out. There's the dog. Okay, goodbye to the dog now. Look, he can hold a little light. Look, he drinks beer and passes (laughs) out. Oh, my God. I thought it was funny that Mrs. Mannion said that she wears her glasses for reading, playing pinball, (laughs) things like that. You know, that that, that general category. Reading and pinball. Mm -hmm. She's She's a cool dame, man. This is going to involve the word panties. Okay. But I will remind you. No, no tittering. There isn't anything funny with panties that figure in the violent death of one man and the possible incarceration of another. Yep. Thank you, Joseph Welch. It's weird that he did not mention also a woman was raped, and yes. that's why they're here. It's <laughs> 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 Just how they affect these two guys over here. Uh-huh. Is, is it strange that in 1959 a courtroom full of adults would have laughed at that? It seems like it to me. It's a funny word. Panties are hilarious. <laughs> Not particularly. Well, well, I don't no, know who I'm talking word. to now. <laughs> it because it, P words are funny. Oh, okay. Like pancreas. Yes. Hilarious. Hilarious word. Platypus. <laughs> See? <laughs> you got me. Pumpkin. Yeah. Now the moment has passed. Pooks. Pooks. Uh, and, and finally, this movie contains the line, if they're high, they're gay and happy. Oh, uh, yeah. I refuse to provide context. No, no. <laughs> sure. Why would you? I cede the rest of my time. I was a little surprised at the the importance of the girdle. I've I've never really thought of a girdle as being something to make a woman less attractive. I always think of it as something that's that's there to hold in not attractive jiggle, but larger jiggle than, right. than a woman would like to be showing. So that I thought was odd. If you go around without a girdle, then you're clearly a libertine. Yeah, apparently, yes. <laughs> The the very long sequence uh, where Jimmy Stewart was trying to get Murray Hamilton, who, is, like George C. Scott, is in both of these movies, yes. uh, to say wolf. I, it was, <laughs> yeah, that it makes was, no th- sense. That was very anticlimactic. <laughs> um, Have you ever heard the term wolf? Masher went on with whalebone corsets. <laughs> yeah, because while that's going on, I'm thinking, well, what are they going to come out with here? And, oh, no, it comes out with wolf. All right, well, all right, fine. I thought Masher was perfectly good, too. Masher was good. Maybe Masher uh, Niblick, you know, whatever. And at the end, uh, when uh, Jimmy and, and uh, Arthur O'Connell are, uh, you know, have gone to the to the trailer and the trailer's gone and there's a trash can and, and uh, uh, you know, Arthur O'Connell says we never trust a guy who drinks gin. There is, I believe, a Blatt's beer can in the trash can. You're going to besmirch gin when there's a can of Blatt's in the trash can? <laughs> They're in the well, upper peninsula of Michigan. I cannot... 
adequately convey. It is absolutely perfect. <laughs> if if yeah. that really is Blatz, and I I stopped and I tried to you know I tried to look. Oh, is that really Blatz, or is it the end of Schlitz? What is it? But you know, if, if it's really Blatz, that's perfect, man. That that is that's Wisconsin and the UP all over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here's why I enjoy this movie. It's a great perform. It, it it's an all time performance by George C. Scott. Um. And there are some very good supporting performances by your your Eve Ardens, your Arthur O'Connells. A lot of good supporting work in this movie. I like Jimmy Stewart movies where Jimmy Stewart is kind of he's still Jimmy Stewart, but he's a little bit bent. We 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 <laughs> yes. watched Rope earlier in an episode. Yep. Um, we, uh, the the Anthony Mann movies are a good example of. Uh, of uh, Jimmy Stewart, who's, hey, I'm still good and decent, but uh, not all the time. And this is one of those movies. Uh, we've talked about the moral ambiguity of that character. Is it a long movie? Yeah. <laughs> does Joseph Welch kind of drag everything down? At times he does. But it's a nice little pot boiler of a legal drama with some really sensational performances. And again, Jimmy Stewart as uh, sort of turning our expectations of what Jimmy Stewart should be up on its head. I I enjoy that kind of picture, and I, I think that's two hours and 40 minutes well spent. Yeah, I, I go along with that. You're a beautiful man. I, I know that. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> um, but mentioning the wrong man and, and putting it in here, and, and I, would, I would put uh, 12 Angry Men in there, too. These were films that at the time um, – sort of pushed the envelope and showed us the legal process. We didn't have the same kind of, you know, we didn't have the accumulated weight of decades of Perry Mason and L.A. Law and Boston Legal and and the practice and, you know, every John Grisham novel and every writer that wants to be John Grisham. And so now, you know, we don't need that. We we have the shorthand. We know the basics. We know uh, guilty by reason of insanity, right? Um, At the time... This was revolutionary. It's like, oh, we get to see the whole process, the whole procedure. Um, and and I mean, this the the other thing. I, I don't. I can't remember if we mentioned this or not. This is inspired by a true story. Yeah, the guy who wrote it basically was the first uh, lawyer to get a uh, an irresistible impulse conviction in Michigan, and he wrote the novel based on that. And then this, this is him down. crowing about it. Thought it was weird they didn't uh, focus on the jury at all. Have you seen Joseph Welsh's wife? That is the one part of the um, of the legal process that they really left on the cutting room floor, the, the jury selection process. So I enjoyed the movie. Um, well, good for you. Thanks very much. <laughs> That's all I had to say. But only because of Joseph Welch. Yeah, it was mainly because of Joseph, Joseph Welch. The well, screw you then. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, I, I actually sat down. I was going to watch half of it and then come back the next day and watch half, the other half. And I ended up watching the whole thing because it was – I found it – Interesting, particularly the the idea of never knowing from beginning to end what really happened. I, I find that really intriguing, uh, being you know kind of the the DA's view or the lawyer's view of of, of a murder case. And I, I really like all the little mysterious details. Like I, I'm really curious to know how Laura knows Dancer from the Attorney General's office because she's the one who passes in the note, right, saying watch out for him. Um, but there's just not that much to this case, I, just certainly not enough to sustain two hours and 40 minutes. And, and that's kind of my biggest problem with it. I mean, after the first 30 minutes, we, we really only learn one new piece of information, which is the fact that Mary was Barney Quill's daughter. 
And and there's all sorts of filler in here. I mean, without scenes of cars driving around, uh, people washing fish, jamming with pie <laughs> eye. You know, this would, this would be a much more reasonable length movie, I think. Uh, and the whole McCarthy sobers up plot is kind of pointless. Um, the fact that he drives into a barn is a big waste of time. I will grant you it is not an economical movie. So, I, you know, I'm not sure I would want to watch this over and over again, but I definitely enjoyed it. I, I loved George C., as usual. I always enjoy Jimmy Stewart, and uh, and overall, I, I I enjoyed the film. Just didn't fall utterly in love with it, but you know, it's it's a hard film to love. I'll accept that. It has some really nice things in it, but yeah, I didn't find it a slog. I mean, again, you know, it's not it's not something going to going to watch many many times after the first hour and listen to what I just said. It, mm-hmm. It's yeah. a slog. I agree. I kept thinking, though, as I was watching the first time that all of the little bits and pieces that were sort of randomly thrown in there as filler were going to pay off at some point. And nope. mo- most of them just were, yeah, like the, the whole, you know, McCarthy driving into the barn. It, it, that's going to play in at some point, right? No, <laughs> We're going to have a scene of him in a hospital bed and we're going to forget all about it. So I, I, re- I, I rewatched last night just to refresh my memory and, and I kind of fell asleep halfway through because <laughs> I was no longer willing to give it the benefit of the doubt on those items. <laughs> This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. If you are a human being and not a robot, you spend about a third of your life sleeping. You should make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfortable technologies, and that gives you better nights and brighter days. There's latex foam and memory foam. You may have heard about memory foam on its own. I don't know. They put a latex foam layer on top. Uh, it's just the right sink, just the right bounce. That's what they say, and I can tell you because I sleep on one. Uh, it's absolutely true. And Casper has a risk-free trial and return policy. You may be saying to yourself, I don't know, buying a mattress on the internet. It sounds a little bit weird. There's no risk. They'll deliver it straight to you. It comes in a box. You open it up. It expands to fill the space. And then you can sleep on it for as long as 100 days. And at any point in that if you are not happy with your Casper mattress, they will pick it back up and take it away and you'll get your money back. It's pretty cool. I have one. I've been sleeping on it since late last year. Uh, it was a big upgrade for us over the mattress that we had bought at one of these mattress stores locally. Um, I'm really liking it. My uh, A lot of aches and pains that I felt before are gone now. <laughs> Honestly, it is a very nice mattress. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't say that. They're not paying me to tell you how good the the sleeping is on this bed. I'm just going to tell you that as a bonus because it's true. Uh, so what does a Casper cost? $500 for a twin size mattress, $950 for a king. Other prices range kind of in the middle there. Compare that to your industry averages. It's a very, very good price and you can get a special deal. $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash Snell, my last name, and using code Snell. Terms and conditions do apply. So thank you so much to Casper Mattresses providing me with a good night's sleep for for almost a year now, and for sponsoring The Incomparable. All right, should we move on to our next film? Yes, let's. Well, let's go two years into the future to <laughs> The Hustler. Whoa. John Kennedy is now president. Ah, a Catholic. Still a good baseball team. I have no other knowledge about 1961. <laughs> the Hustler. So this is the story of uh, Eddie Felsen, Fast Eddie, mm. who is a uh, a bit of a pool shark, a bit of a pool hustler, if you will. I'd and, describe um, him as cocky. 
And uh, he shows up, and he wants to take on Minnesota Fats. Well, when we're introduced to Eddie, he he is just a businessman on his way to Pittsburgh with another guy. Yeah, that's, having that, some drinks in a diner. That's when, a bit of a scam. Yeah, there's a and, it's and a this it's is a hustle. Even. Unusual for a 1961 movie in that there's a uh, there's a scene before the titles where uh, Eddie and his partner go into a uh, pool hall and they. Uh, they totally scam everyone out of their money by uh, by making Eddie appear to be a horrible drunkard who can't uh, who 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 can't uh, sink a simple pool shot. Right, and or, they get in a, they get in a fight because he wants to keep playing, and his partner leaves, and so he's like, and everybody else is like, well, you know, I, I could play this guy. He's totally drunk, and and uh, then he takes him because he is a. A pool hustler. Right. You know, I wasn't fooled at all because I read the poster. I wanted to comment on these credits in contrast to the credits in Anatomy of the Murder. These credits are like the credits of a TV show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tonight on The Hustler, The Hustler Hustles. And other people get hustled on The Hustler. Special guest star, George C. Scott. Yeah. It is in Cinemascope, though. And I don't don't think I've ever seen a black and white movie in Cinemascope other than this one. It's so weird to me that it's hmm. in Cinemascope because it's such a claustrophobic movie. Yeah, it's all, it's <laughs> all I, inside. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself, these guys are supposed to be 70 feet tall when you're watching this. It is, and, and yet it uh, it is a beautifully shot movie. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, the pool scenes in particular are, are oh, fantastic. Yeah. So speaking of which, the um, after we get through <laughs> the credit sequence, we get to the scene at the um, uh, Ames Pool Hall, which I – I always thought it was in Iowa, but it's apparently a pool hall in New York mm-hmm. um, uh, where Fast Eddie Felsen takes on Minnesota Fats in a all all night, all morning, all the next day pool contest in which uh, basically it's not over till Minnesota Fats says it's over. And uh, Fast Eddie jumps out ahead and then loses everything because – as George C. Scott points out later on the movie Fast he's a bit of a loser. He actually points it out right here for the yeah, first stay time. stay with this kid. Yeah. He's a loser. He's mm-hmm. a loser. Exactly. Just looks into his eye and reads his soul. Mm-hmm. I feel like George C. Scott could, could actually do that if you walked up to him. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> Everybody can read your soul. They just have to shower off afterward. <laughs> so Eddie is shaken to the core. He loses everything. Um... He's broken and uh, ends up uh, shacking up with Piper Laurie, who plays Sarah Packard in the movie. Yes, it's nice to see Piper Laurie in something where she doesn't end up impaled to the wall with kitchen cutlery. (laughs) This was her last movie before Carrie, apparently. Wow. I I wasn't sure if anything else she had done. Twin Peaks? Well, eventually, okay. Eventually, yeah. No, she she basically retired for a while and then came back for Carrie. But... um, uh, Piper Laurie has her own issues. Uh, yeah, you uh, could say that. Yeah. <laughs> Another unbelievably creepy female lead, I think. Well, sure, sure. That that would be the other theme of tonight's uh, movie club. Uh, creepy female leads. She's a bit of a drunk. She's a bit of a, a fabulist. Uh, but she and uh, Paul Newman sort of fall for each other and are good for each other. Paul Newman still lusts for the uh, the the... the the hustle, the, the 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 sight of easy money, and keeps going to the the pool halls to beat people. Some people recognize him as the pool hustler that he is. Other people do not until he takes them for their money, and then they break his thumbs. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> as George C. Scott had pref- has prophesied. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Immediately before that scene. 
Yes. And Someone's then- going to break your thumbs. At which point he uh, falls in with George C. Scott, who will become his manager, and who will uh, show him how to uh, become a winner and not the loser that he is, who always is uh, uh, overplaying his hand and outreaching his station. They go down to Louisville. Piper Laurie uh, comes along on the trip. Ill-advisedly, as it turns out. (laughs) So uh, they go to the house of this... uh, what can only be described as the most foppish man in all of uh, <laughs> in all of Louisville. Mm-hmm. He just knows how to have a good time. He's played by Murray Hamilton, who uh, eagle-eyed viewers will recognize from uh, Anatomy of a Murder and Jaws. Although a very different character here, which is very nice. different character. I play billiards, Mister Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> I wish this guy had been in Anatomy of a Murder, though. That would really spice that movie up. <laughs> it would be kind of regionally inappropriate, but uh, well, there you go. No more so than Duke Ellington. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> he, he just just up from Detroit. He's fine. That's not Duke Ellington. That's Pie Eye. No, sorry. Yes, of course. Thanks, Pi. All this time, George C. Scott has been deciding that Piper Laurie needs to go and has been uh, uh, undermining her and uh, 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 at this party at Fidley's house, he walks up to her and whispers in, her, whispers in Piper Laurie's ear something apparently terribly suggestive, not unlike the word panties from the early <laughs> 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 and uh, she slaps him and has an incident and uh, is taken upstairs. And Eddie, who is totally focused on taking Findlay um, in the the, the, the the pool game that they're about to play, just sort of leaves her be. No, she's sleeping it off on a bed under, under someone's mink coat or above someone's mink coat. Above someone's mink coat. Um, Fast Eddie eventually beats Findlay at his own game. He decides to walk back to the hotel that they're all staying at. At this point, uh, George C. Scott goes back to the hotel in a cab and uh, begins the final humiliation of Piper Laurie, uh, who, uh, as we've pointed out, is both uh, an alcoholic and probably mentally ill, and uh, who, after having uh, intercourse with George C. Scott, reacts in the only way you can... React after having their course with George C. Scott uh, commit suicide. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's all downhill from here. Yeah. Paul, Paul Newman returns to the hotel, finds that his true love is dead. Pretty much at George C. Scott's say so, attacks George C. Scott, and then that sets up the final confrontation at uh, the Ames Pool Hall between uh, Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason as Minnesota Fats, in which. Uh, Paul Newman finally beats Minnesota Fats, refuses to pay uh, George C. Scott the money that he owes him, and is told that he'll never get a uh, a big pool game again, and uh, walks away from the sport of billiards until Martin Scorsese makes an unsatisfying sequel 30 years hence. Mm. But uh, that's that's for another movie club that I will not host. <laughs> unsatisfying sequel night? That sounds like fun. <laughs> that's the hustler in a nutshell and i do want to point out um that both the opening sequence where he plays uh minnesota fats in the uh in the pool contest and the last 20 minutes of the movie where it's uh he comes back the sadder but wiser uh pool hustler to play minnesota fats the ending is perhaps my favorite ending of a movie ever 
Um, hmm. It's not my favorite movie ever, mind you, but it's my – the last 20 minutes are just a masterpiece of uh, cinema, I would argue. Get on me, Bert. I can't lose. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because you always, every time you hear about it, every time you see about it, all anyone talks about is the pool. And for a long time, well before I saw it, I thought the movie was just wall-to-wall pool. It was one, you know, they always oh, say no. Greek tragedy in a pool room. No, and, and they and don't even explain be, the rules of pool. Right, right. Let alone billiards. And, yeah. and I, f- I figured, oh, I you know. billiards, Mr. Felsen. <laughs> my house, my rules. And I figured the entire thing would, would be set over the course of that game or over that course of series of games. And so the first time I saw it, it was like, whoa, this is a film with real people. And, and, and I mean, I found the, the parts that weren't pool much less interesting. I wasn't quite as interested in Fast yeah, Eddie. I wasn't yeah. interested in, I mean, I was interested in him and the dynamic with Bert, but I wanted more pool because those pool sequences are just so beautifully choreographed and, and paced and shot and, and sound affected. Well, the sound, sound affected out the wazoo. Let me God. let me undermine my own choice for old movie club. the The middle hour of this movie is, is yeah, I can take or leave. But yeah. it's those yeah. two bookend scenes in the pool halls that are just magnificent, and that that that's why you you sit through the the middle bit, which kind of uh, admittedly lags a bit. Yeah. Uh, but it but it gives weight to the end. Yeah. Well, it, you know, sure. It's fine. But but if you never saw that bit and you just saw those two segments, you could walk away a happy. Oh, a that happy would be viewer. a good film too. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole opening, is, is, opening thing with uh, the first battle with Fats is just. It, there's so much in it. It's so amazing. I wrote a bunch of things down here. You know. I, I didn't leave you much. You left enough where he underestimates yeah. him at the beginning. He says, uh, you know, I've dreamed about it, fat man. I really love that. Jackie Gleason, I think, is great uh, in oh, this. Oh, Jackie it's Gleason just so, is sensational in this So movie. great, yeah. so great. And this is his only dramatic role of note. And that was my thought was um, we wasted Jackie Gleason <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> he could have been as, as great as he was as a comedic actor. Um, he is so good in this. Well, I think his dramatic role in Smokey and the Bandit <laughs> well, has, has, I mean, come on. I, I, I take your point. I take your, I take he, your point. He frankly doesn't do much except look at things. Though. Oh, but he, yeah. oh, but, but, but he, looks, he fills those looks with looks. so much weight. Oh my God. No well, pun intended. I mean, he's a large guy. I think he's much better silent than when he talks in this movie. And the thing that's, that's really impressive, um, is that he he was himself a, a beautiful pool player. He was a great and, pool player. You know, they, they very carefully stage those so that you see that it's him doing yes. it. And he and that he's in some of them he's not even paying that much attention. It's like, yeah, I can do this without looking. Boom. I do love the bit at the end where he where he tells um Oh man, what's the character? Where he tells Eddie, "You better pay him, Eddie." And the look on his face there is wonderful. It's yeah. like he's, yes. he's horrified that he has to say this, but he knows that that, that he does. And uh, you know, there's an, an amazing amount of depth in in that one line. They spend so much time setting up, showing Newman and Gleason doing the shots that by their second big game, they ha- don't have to show much of the game at all. Yeah, because you buy it when mm-hmm. you're just watching Paul Newman's face fall as the sounds of a ball go in off screen. <laughs> yeah. And apparently they only used um, a couple of stunt doubles to do the trick shots. Yeah. yeah. Um, Willie Moscone as seen in a poster behind Paul Newman in an early scene. Mm. Right. <laughs> I like the uh, clock 
too. This is this yeah. is a little bit brings to mind the you know they don't they don't let you see the outside or the time when you're at a casino. It's like that. Like they're, they, they, here they keep showing the clock because it's like a marathon. It's like the clock is advancing. That you get the fast clock spin. They go to a thousand a game at four in the morning. Four, four in the morning they order whiskey and bourbon and they've been playing for hours now. But at four in the morning they say okay it's time to take off the jackets and get serious with this, yep. which is <laughs> so great. They take off their suit jackets. There's the whisper to George C. Scott. Um, the morning, the light streams in. And it's cut that sunshine out. They're blocking out the world. You know, the game is over when Fat says it's over. Um, all of that. It's just, it is, yeah, it's spectacular. I, I, I love it. I like the fact that the uh, Ames pool hall has two prominent signs. No yeah. gambling and no massé shots. And both are ignored equally. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I every, love that. Every sign in every pool hall is ignored in this movie. Pay, pay after every game and so no gambling at all. I really like Paul Newman in this movie. I mean, it's obvious because he's the hero, but his cocky smirk at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Just looking at that says everything about the character. And you can also kind of see why they would make a sequel where Tom Cruise is essentially playing the guy yeah. in this position because yeah. this is Tom Cruise of the day. And the charisma of him is just pouring out of the screen on this one. I mean, I, I've i seen this on television, you know, several times. Oh, you know, it used to be played on television all the time when I was a kid. And I've never seen it in a theater. But imagine him full theater sized with that yeah. smile and oh it, it must have been overwhelming uh my favorite george c scott moments in this movie are during the first game with gleason before yeah. he's said anything he just yes. comes in sits there and watches <laughs> and he's so clean and neat while everyone else is getting sweaty and exhausted yep. and you can just tell that yeah, guy's above it all something actually actually my favorite george c scott moments in this movie because i think I, as good as Newman is, George C. Scott walks away with this movie um, every time he just diminishes Piper Laurie. Like every time they're on screen together, he finds a way to just twist the knife on her. Yep. And he is a, he is a monster. And I love the fact we never hear what it is that he tells her. Yeah, at the, yep. at, at the scene at uh, Murray Hamilton's mansion. Yep. Yes. But he, there's this line... Uh, about I, I just want to know I'm not betting on a cripple. Well, I should point out that Piper Laurie, um, because of polio, walks with a limp throughout the movie. And that is a line that is directed. Oh, it's not at Eddie because he had his thumbs broke. It's at you, Piper Laurie, because George C. Scott just wants to emphasize how useless you are. The thing I like about that scene is the fact that she has a comeback for that. And, and at that part of the movie, I was really I wrote down that I'm digging this emerging dynamic where she's starting to sort of match wits with him. Yep. Which unfortunately went away almost immediately. But I, I would have really enjoyed to see a little more of that before she finally broke down. But definitely a good bit. Yeah. Uh, my other uh, my other big George C. moments in this movie, there's I think my favorite thing in the movie is right after George C. Scott uh, introduces Findlay to to Eddie. There's just this look on his face of, you know, I've totally got you <laughs> that is is subtle, but it's it's wonderful. Uh, and the other bit is, um, oh, there's a bit where Finley points out the statue of Pan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he suggests that uh, George C. Scott model for the artist. You might have modeled for the artist. Uh, <laughs> and, and George C. Scott turns to see what is presumably a massive set of gonads and just says, possible. 
<laughs> it's hysterical. Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, so Myron McCormick as as uh, Eddie's partner Charlie. Um, I looked up the actor. He died not too long after this. He died in '62 at the age of 54. Um, I something about this character, uh, the, the the way he performs this character. Um, he didn't. He died before he had a chance to be cast as the Doctor in Star Trek. But that's the that's how I read it. Is like, oh my God, this is another. He could have been Doctor McCoy or whoever. He is a he has got he's got that kind of like likable crankiness that I thought having never seen I think this actor before I really liked him and I was sad to see that that he passed away fairly young soon after this because he you know I liked his voice and that the the, the way it was kind of kind of this gruff rough voice and yet an affable gentleman and I I I'm serious um since they had three different actors as the doctor on Star Trek before they got one who stuck with uh with uh, DeForest Kelly um, they are all of a type, and it's this same type, this this uh, kind of genial, cranky guy. And Even I, a lucky lush couldn't sink that shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like so, I like that character a lot, and that performance. And, and yeah, uh, no, he's he, he's he's very underrated in this picture because he's he's done by the second act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was pleased to see William Dwell, the uh, calendar turner from seventeen seventy six. Oh yeah. yeah, no, he's yep. in uh, well. Uh, star of a lot of things as one of the uh, pool hustlers who meets Eddie in Louisville. And one of the other bartenders was Jake LaMotta. Yeah. Yes. yes. I was going to say, there's your, there's your, there's your stun casting. This one is the bartender, Jake LaMotta. Yeah, but they have him only say one word, which works out much better. It was a smart choice. That's how you do stunt casting. Stand here, learn this syllable. <laughs> Thanks, Mac. Joseph Welch was originally going to play that part. <laughs> but, uh, the movie went five hours long. <laughs> I've often found it queer the way you pool hustlers. <laughs> uh, to get to get briefly back to his uh, to his partner, I think the way that 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 character exits is really really interesting. <laughs> I, I like that scene a lot, where it, it seems as though he's grown to really care about the Fast Eddie character, and and Eddie just can't. He can't accept that as even a possibility. Yeah. And it's never made clear which which side is actually right. But uh, it's it's a really nice, really poignant bit. And um, and I, I think in general, you know, the, the part that you call the slow part between the, the couple <laughs> of pool scenes at either end, which is basically the whole movie, yeah. um, <laughs> is I think really, really poignant human drama – that I have difficulty watching because I don't like to spend so much time with broken, uh, depressing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get enough of that in real life. Exactly. <laughs> On this podcast alone. You don't look like a college girl, Steve. Oh, I what do you know. want me to do? Just step out in the alley, Jason? Those two pool scenes are about 25 minutes apiece. So that's already like an hour. That's an hour worth of screen time. Which is what one tenth of the film's runtime? No, no, I lost no. track somewhere along the line. <laughs> Burned. No, you're right. That the middle the middle bits do drag a little bit, and and I have a note that says as soon as George C turns up, that it goes from slow and kind of drag into a firecracker. Oh, All it takes is George, George C. Scott Scotch. pulling up a bar stool. Oh, oh, oh that man. scene with Newman and Scott in the bar. Fantastic. When he just gets his casts off, yeah, it's a spectacular scene. But the stuff that's going to stick with me, I think, is the is the awful. Uh, <laughs> The, the awful things done by awful people to each other, but at the same yeah. time, I didn't. I can't say I really enjoyed watching it. Mm. <laughs> Honestly, the the middle the middle third is not an enjoyable movie, but it's the 
the middle third sets up the final sequence, which is sure. just outstanding cinema. I enjoy the picnic. I like that they take a lovely picnic with the guy with the broken thumbs. That made, yeah. that made yes. me chuckle. It's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> That picnic scene, Jason, because that that whole sequence briefly after his thumbs are broken where they seem to be getting along really well and she's really happy. The reason she's really happy is because he can't get away anymore. That's right. His thumbs are busted. He's not going to take off and play pool. And and as soon as his thumbs are back to normal, that's all over. And it's just it's such a sad dynamic, that whole that whole relationship. And uh, I think it's the crowning moment of that, I think, is uh, in the, the mansion in Louisville in Finley's mansion where. Sarah's had a bit much to drink and uh, there's a scene that just seems to last forever where she she makes this slow drunken limping because of course she's she's got a a funky gait from polio Um, this drunken traverse down the staircase and through this crowd of other people who seem to be happy and normal and enjoying themselves and it is just so excruciating to watch and of course the cherry on top of that uh, on that Sunday is uh, is she approaches George C. Scott and he whispers the coup de gras into her ear and that's sort of it for her. But it's it's a wonderful scene and depressing and sad and so well shot. Oh yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, well it's it's there's a parallelism there. I mean, you know, she becomes a better person when he's hurt. He becomes a better person when she's dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, he redeems himself only only after her suicide. Behind every great man is yeah. a dead woman. He says, I've yeah. got character now, picked it up in a hotel room in Louisville. That's yeah. that's when he gets gets it. Yeah. And, and and Piper Laurie's character here is maybe a little underwritten in the in the middle sections. And which is unfortunate. I think sometimes she's doing things maybe too quickly. Uh, they they are they're they're kind of rushing through her character development, maybe a little fast. It may may seem slow, but I you know she's <laughs> jumping. And so, you know, oh, suddenly she's not an alcoholic anymore, and 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 everybody's happy. And and but the first two scenes uh, between uh, Fast Eddie and Sarah, first in the diner, in the bus station, and then in the bar, she is she is fantastic in those scenes. Oh, she's great. She is great. No, it's a it's a very good performance. It's it's Lurie. it's well written for her, and she just nails it, especially in the bar, especially in the bar. Do you want me to go out in the alley? Oh God, that just sent so gross. Yeah, everything where she's just kind of laying out herself as a drunk, uh, and this is what she does. And oh, why was she in the bus station? Well, because the bars don't open until eight a.m., and that's why I was there. Hmm. Oh, I feel that whole pickup where he's trying to trying to get her to you know head off with him is just it's so gross. Yeah, and it 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 gives you a real feel for how nasty these characters really are. My only two remaining notes, or really one remaining note, is Robert Rawson, the director of this movie. Um, the only other movie that he really made that was worth a damn was uh, All the King's Men. Yeah. Oh, which is a great movie. That yeah. might be a future episode. Quite honestly. Oh, I, I should hope so. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but um, uh, this is just very well put together in terms of just soundtrack, in terms of actors, in terms of uh, of pacing. Even with the middle third of the movie that kind of lags, as we've said. But well, and uh, maybe maybe it's intentional. 
maybe it is supposed to be a little bit of a lag to show that that is kind of how Eddie feels, right? Yeah. He's only alive when he's in this very compressed time period playing this really high stakes game and the rest of everything is just sort of there. And my my only other note is please dear god anyone listening to the sound of my voice don't watch the color of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's I liked it's, that movie. No. Hey, the no. Eric Clapton song is good. I liked the, the Eric, Eric Clapton, Clapton song. song is good. That's the only thing good about this movie. It's not it's n- Oh, it's a terrible, <laughs> it's a terrible thing. It's Martin Scorsese doing a movie to show that he can make a movie that's a commercial movie. And uh, it's Paul Newman making a movie to show, hey, maybe you should give me an Oscar because I'm going to I'm gonna <laughs> die one of these days and you haven't given me one yet. And it's Tom Cruise making yeah, a movie yes, because yeah. Tom Cruise is a puppy who demands approval. I don't think you can blame Tom Cruise for it. It's a perfect role for Tom Cruise. Oh, sure. Sure. But it's not a good movie. Anything more to say about uh, The Hustler? In the, in the first pool scene, you know, of course, Jackie Gleason's entrance is spectacular. Sure. Um, at the end of it, when uh, Paul Newman falls down at the, end of the, at the end of the pool table, Charlie goes over to him and everybody else just kind of walks out. Almost like they're stepping over the top of him. Nobody actually steps over the top of him. But in my mind, it's like they're stepping over the top of him as they walk out. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how they managed to do that, but that's how it. That's always how it feels to yeah, me. Yeah, that's very good. That's a very salient it, point. In the, in the, pi- in the uh, picnic scene, we have, which I love, uh, in, it's one of the few scenes in the middle of the movie that, that I really like. You have... Uh, Fast Eddie explaining the concept of flow, um, possibly before anyone knew anyone knew what flow was. Where he's talking about, and he's got that great line: "It's like I've got oil in my arm." Um, we'll see the which, waitress which from Alice that wasn't Alice <laughs> Peter, has her own show. Kiss my grits, all right. <laughs> um, and then in the final scene, I always feel that uh, Fats is on Fats Eddie's side. Throughout, yes, not just at the end, not just at the end where he's sort of telling, you know, you better pay him, Eddie. Er, Earlier on, when, um, you know, Fast Eddie is talking for it's in the first game and it and everything is on is on the line because uh, Eddie only has three thousand dollars and this is a game for three thousand dollars. And he's talking to Bert uh, about it and fast and loose and get on me, Bert, I can't lose. As he's going along and talking and probably talking too much and probably getting himself in trouble with Bert, who can have more than his thumbs broken, uh, Fat says, shoot pool fast, Eddie. And Eddie seems to think that Fats is telling him, uh, move it along. Let's, let's, let's keep going. It's, it, you know, get back, to, get back to business here. Uh, that's why he says, you know, I'm shooting pool fats. When I miss, you can shoot. That is my favorite exchange in this movie. <laughs> but what fats is really saying is you're getting yourself in your mouth is getting yourself in trouble. Get, concentrate on the pool. I don't want you to get hurt by this guy. And then, of course, at the end, you know, you better pay him all that. And then, you know, fat man, you shoot a great game of pool. So do you fast, Eddie. That's yeah, Fats great. never has anything against Eddie. Eddie came and said, play pool. And fats is a pool player. All right. You want me to beat you for 48 hours? I feel like he's on the same side after the first pool game. 
Like before he even comes back in the pool hall, I think he's already got fats on his side because he's he's earned his respect up to a point before he you know got a little too crazy and <laughs> fell over on the floor. Lost all his money. Yeah, Fats has to know how good he is. He does, and 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 he has to be intrigued by the fact that you know he. This is what is it that uh, I think the George C. Scott character tells him is uh, is. You really got your hooks into him. Yeah, you had him hooked, and I, I think he's still hooked at the time when when he comes back into the pool hall, and that I think has earned him a measure of respect. Mm-hmm. And I I think that that last scene is one of my favorite final scenes, and just the way it exits and freezes. Yeah, is you know just sort of putting on your coat. Leaving, cleaning up, and you get, you get up, the impression that for all his his bluster, George C. Scott feels like he's just escaped from being murdered. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he he looks like he's happy he got out of that exchange without being killed. Well, he's negotiating even up before that. You know, he's got the seventy five twenty five, and then he's, you know, he's he's moving his percentage down. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, he knows he's on. in the wrong. I mean, he knows he knows he pushed it too far, and, and Sarah's dead, and and he probably deserves to be killed. Yes. And in fact, it, it's a lot of gall on his part to scream, you owe me money in the first <laughs> you place. You owe me money! Look, if you have a chance to shout that, you shout it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they're not just going to break your thumbs, they're going to break your arms. Yes, and you know when, when he says, you know, they'll put the pieces back together and I'll come back and I will kill you, that he means it. And it's it's just a whole, that whole, the whole exchange there is wonderful. Uh, the bit where he tells him you'll never set foot in a big pool hall again, and and Paul Newman looks around, you know, wistfully, like, "Well, I'm never going to see you again." That's beautiful. Yeah, everything about that ending. Scene As is I fantastic. said, the last twenty minutes of this movie, I'll stack up against any twenty minutes of any movie, yeah, ever made. It's just that problematic middle bit. Yeah. Well, sure. But without without that, you wouldn't the the ending wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> so. No. <laughs> but it makes a hell of a lot of sense, even without that middle bit. Well, you need something suitably awful to happen for well, him. Well, sure, to, sure, to sure. Get his <laughs> you need to have redemption. Why yeah. is he having a rematch already? He just played this guy. This is stub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where'd he get that $3,000? George C. Scott seems to dislike him now. What happened to that nice girl he met at the bus? <laughs> is there a redemption? I don't feel like he's ever really redeemed. I mean, no, he feels, he feels not bad. at all. Nope. Not at all. He's clearly capable of beating fats now, but I wouldn't call that redemption. Well, he keeps he keeps himself. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go off the rails in right. this. He has he has as he says, he has character now. He got it in a yeah. hotel room. Well, in a sense he's finally acquiescing to Sarah's uh request of him, which is, you know, don't be a cripple and Well, I think he just takes the sent- the line if you can't play top-level pool for 48 straight hours, you're not worth anything. Literally. Well, now he can. Now he's worth something, and he no longer <laughs> needs to play pool to prove himself. Percy <laughs> Scott. These were good, Phil. Also long. Yeah. Yeah. I usually have more notes, but I, if I took notes throughout all of these movies, it, it would have been a five-hour per movie. They say movies today are long. Movie, there, there have been long movies for a long time. And Anatomy of the Murder? Anatomy of a Murder. Is it one of those long movies? It's a long movie. Just is. Just sort of in general, though, I mean, I think of of older movies as being shorter, and usually they are, but it seems like for Old Movie Club, we tend to pick the long ones. I'm not sure why that is. You just like long movies, Phil? I I do. All right. I think think we've come to the end of another Old Movie Club. Totally have. (laughs) We really have. We've nailed it. We've we've nailed uh, the coffee shot now. Mm -hmm. Wait, we aren't at three hours yet. I know. Well... 
I'll play some music on at the end. You know, I thought the beginning and end of that podcast was pretty good. The middle kind of dragged a little. <laughs> so I'd like to thank uh, my guests. Uh, first off, of course, the the sommelier of Old Movie Club, Philip Michaels. Thank you. Thanks, Pie. Steve Lutz, thank you for being here. Thanks for letting me sit in, Pie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Monty Ashley, you owe me money! The attorneys will provide the wisecracks. <laughs> <laughs> David Lore, thank you. I, I'm gonna go lie down in a corner and die now. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And Dr. Drang, thank you for coming back on Old Movie Club. Thank you, Jason. I've got to get this girdle off. It's killing me. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to another Old Movie Club on The Incomparable. We will see you next week. 